0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 135, Where'd She Go? This week, we're discussing season 5, episode 16 of Buffy, The Body, and series 9, episode 7 of Doctor Who, The Zygon Invasion.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so yes, uh, I'm body. just gonna start with a kind of weary, agonized sigh because I we had to watch this episode twice in the last week. <laughs> I know, which is like, you know, not really.
0: So what you would I've normally do? Said before. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, so I've said before that I've uh, not made it through this episode without sort of breaking down. Mm. And my own breaking point uh, hmm. has been uh, after, at, since uh, I think the first time I saw it, like it was like from the beginning, like, no, right, but, like, right. but like as I have become more inured to it, I've at least made it to Anya's mm. breakdown. But I have yet to make it past her breakdown without just sort of getting teary mm. and
1: a little and dust in the corner the of your eye. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's streaming. It's like you can't blame it on allergies or anything. Um,
1: right.
0: right. <laughs> I, un, unless I'm listening to Joss's commentary, because then right you're you pulled can out of the like
1: disassociate and like yeah, yeah you're not
0: in in the pathos of the moment. Right. Um, right.
1: Yeah. So, interesting. Uh,
0: but yeah, I mean, I I it Anya's oh man. And when we get to her scene, I mean, there's some stuff actually in the commentary too that sort of talks about that. But um, just that her. Her breakdown always sort of gets me.
1: So. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't want to ruin it by talking it about her now and not giving her full attention later, but I think it's that it's because she's the one you don't expect it. You know, you don't expect her to be like, you know, she's hardly the only emotional character in the episode, but you don't expect right. her to be like the emotional centerpiece of the episode, you know, like, um, yep. I think it's that kind of like, it, it comes sort of from the direction that you don't expect it is maybe why it kind of catches you off guard a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, and I, I think we said before, like, this is definitely an episode that I was aware of not never not necessarily in the details of it but just you know this is up there with the titles that i have seen referenced as like really sure. powerful episodes and so i'm kind of already going in like you know um armored like against it like you know kind sure. of like braced for like where's the you know impact gonna be um which you know maybe it it maybe I missed something by not having seen it like just cold and uninformed, you know? Um, But I mean, I kind of want to,
0: I mean, it would be hard to, for that to happen at this point at this point.
1: Yeah. That's sort of, that's sort of uh, that ship has sailed at least like for as like aware, maybe if I knew nothing about, you know, if I was really sheltered and knew nothing about Buffy, that would be one thing. But um, I think I'm a little bit too much in the internet to really avoid that completely. But, um, I wanted to kind of start, I mean, cause I definitely found it, you know, hugely like disturbing, you know, and I kind of want to start episode overall. You yeah. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to start with that, the, the, the you know, so it's written and directed by Joss, you know, so, you know, he's especially because I feel like he's definitely had a less um, direct hand in the more recent seasons than when he started out. But, you know, I I think I'm right in saying, is this the only episode he's written for the season so far or like one of the only ones? Um,
0: uh, for season five? For season five. Um, um... Well, yeah. So remember, uh, it's not um, the only one. So he wrote um, the Terra-focused episode the, family. Okay, all right.
1: So I was forgetting one. Um, but, but and so and is, I know but, that he's show running but, and you know yeah. obviously directly involved with everything. But I also feel like the the you know the, the days are gone when Joss is gonna do like any old episode. It's like you kind of know, like, he's going to do, you know, one that is important for the characters and everything. Um, And so obviously this is, like, you know, a really, you know, like maybe the biggest turning point of the whole series, you know, so far. Um, And so I kind of wanted to start with talking about his decisions, like as a writer and a director of, like, you know, to go, I guess, as weird with the episode as he does, you know, like, which is, I think maybe why it has such a big impact is that it's not just, it does the kind of dramatic thing of like the big character death where it's surprising and shocking and there's lots of sadness and crying and grief and everything. But it, you know... I feel like with the direction, he works so hard to kind of replicate that sense of what it's like to actually go through that, you know, with all these kinds of like surrealist elements, you know, so like the things that kind of jump out are the kind of the lack of the music all the way throughout the episode. Like there's no, you know, score underneath um, you know, there's no kind of music because whenever you see composers talk about like film scores, it's always about like guiding your emotions. And, you know, some people might call that manipulative, but the score kind of does tell you like, how are you supposed to feel in any given moment? Like, or is this a tense action scene? Or is it, you know, a sad you're supposed to be crying scene? And Mm -hmm. so just like the lack of any guidance of that, of just like, you're just shown what you're shown and there's no kind of composer there to kind of tell you, Oh, this is when you're supposed to cry. Oh, this is when you're supposed to laugh, all that kind of thing. Um, You know, and the things like cameras being at weird angles of like, you know, people are like sitting not quite where they usually do in the frame. Like they're a little kind of off center or, you know, when Buffy's talking to the paramedic and like the half of his face is cut off and like just that sense of like disorientation of like you don't know where to look. And, um you know, which is just a really, you know, I'm sure it's been said a million times. It's just a very interesting way to, you know, go about doing it. And it feels like, apart from the emotional stuff with the characters, that's the stuff that really sticks with you, is, like, all those kind of unusual directorial choices. And, you know, like, I think... I I tweeted this, or I didn't tweet, I texted you this, and said, like, obviously there's a lot more to say about it, but, like, that last shot is, you know... I feel like that'll stick with me longer than anything, is, like... Just how, you know, uh, I think kind of scary that last shot is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of, I don't know. I don't know what else uh, you kind of have to say from like a behind the scenes point of view. And then we can get into the characters. But um, seeing Joss really kind of like push himself in these sorts of ways is really interesting to me.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so first off, definitely it's true that he, uh, writes and directs fewer episodes this season. And in fact, it's, it's been on a decline. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, first season he wrote, you know, like six of the 12 episodes, you know, second season, uh, he wrote six episodes again, but you know, of the 22, mm-hmm. you know, total. And then, you know, third season five uh, fourth season four and now we're down to three mm. Um, he'll write one he'll write the finale of this season as mm-hmm. well along with the two you know that we've done already so um, including this one so definitely he's sort of becoming less um, involved in like you said he's not just sort of doing the one-off these are sort of the major right. character episodes Um, you know like we got with Tara mm-hmm. and then now we have I guess, who's the character we're focused on here? I mean, the title would suggest Joyce, right, I guess, right. in a way, but it's not really about her in a way. It's about everyone else's reaction. Right. Um, and then, um, you know, we can see sort of the last episode uh, of the season, how that plays out. But, um, yeah, so what? So uh, the no music thing. Mm. Um there is no um sort of dramatic music in this yeah. uh episode there is there is some uh i think some like light uh like off screen you know like a radio playing kind of mm-hmm. thing sort of um y- you know uh to bring in my favorite word, the the diegetic music, right, right. um, that's, you know, within the context of the story, but there's no, um, uh, whatever It actually always reminds me of a quote, um, from of all things, the, the book, the insidious Dr. Fu Manchu, um, <laughs> which has a line in it, um, where the, the narrator, you know, on, in his hunt for Fu, Fu Manchu and going through all that, he, he, quotes this line that says there is no incidental music to the dramas of real life mm. and that that line always pops into my head whenever i think of this episode or watch it um yeah because it it is very much that thing of like it, you notice it more when it's not there because yeah. it's not there yeah, yeah. um and also, and so there's also some very um, pertinent plays just on the sounds, even even the sounds of the characters and the things they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially you get um, just after the opening credits, you get the, like, um, the, the sort of the family meal scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and by family, of course, we mean like all the Scoobies right, at the Summer's right. house and they're having, you know, um, a nice dinner and sort of, you know, joking and laughing, whatever. And then the cut to Joyce's face you know
2: yeah
0: um just sort of sitting there uh, or lying there or whatever and and the of course the the juxtaposition of that even though it even though there isn't um you know sort of the dramatic music you know the score music in either of those you get sort of the contrast even with that um mm-hmm. and and like you were saying like it's not even like her face but it's like her face off center Like it's, it's that, you know, bizarre sort of cinematography that they're, you know, that he cuts to. It's not even like, she's not even centered on the screen. It's off to the side. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the things that Joss, uh, talks about in his commentary to the episode is, um that he was really going for, uh, he was kind of going for two things. One, he wanted to capture what he called the extreme physicality, um, which you get sort of by the title even, you know, the body. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the sheer physicality of it. So you get things like, when Buffy is giving her CPR and you hear the ribs cracking and it, you know, affects her and, or even like, um, the, maybe a little more subtle things like just sort of fixing her skirt, the very tactile, uh, you know, when she throws up and then goes and immediately like cleans up the vomit, you know, and doesn't whatever, um, you you know, doesn't really like she's not like thinking about it. It's just, this is what I have to do, kind of thing, right um, and the step by step, and even in the in those moments you you get like the wind chimes and the like she stands at the door and she like hears the sounds of people outside you mm-hmm. know playing or doing whatever, and um you know those types of things so and, and throughout the episode, like every scene has that, and like that was really a big focus of it was was the physicality, the physical presence of just this body, this thing that's sort of haunting but not threatening you know what i mean like it's it's that sort of having to deal with the physical nature of what has happened um yeah the the other thing that he said um he sort of wanted to well he mentions several things throughout the commentary but like the other sort of main thing that he talks about right up front is sort of the mundanity of it Mm. the the almost boredom, he calls it, um, of sort of the first few hours or the first day or so of what happens when you lose someone and sort of to capture that moment. And so we were talking about like how it's almost impossible to talk about this episode without going step by step through it. And that's by design, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it it is a step by step thing and, and just sort of, um, intentionally he does that and and of course you picked up on you know a lot of the the ways that he does that so like with the presence of the paramedics sort of filling up the shot you know in odd ways um Mm -hmm. and and sort of Buffy not knowing where to look or right how to you know sort of react and even like her like wishing them luck as they like are leaving you know like the sort of weird moments of like not quite right priorities. Like y you, you're just not sure how to act and not really uh clear on what's going on. Right. Uh, and
1: almost like shock, you know, of yeah. of you know, I think that's what the the lack of music conveys too is that kind of numbness, you know, of yeah. Yeah. you know, if if we keep going with the idea of like score tells you how to like feel emotionally then like a you know long periods of silence to me are kind of a lack of feeling mm-hmm. you know um and not necessarily a, like not because you don't care but a, like a a lack of ability because of the shock of a situation you know of yeah. you know yeah. even knowing what to think or what you know uh you know, the the good luck is sort of a automatic, you know, yeah. you know, kind of knee jerk response of this is what yeah. a, you know, polite human being says in a situation like this. Like, you know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, it's just like a, a reflex that she says that, you know, but kind of coming out spontaneously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that about like all the physicality because it. it I think, like, that's another big thing is how much this episode is dependent on just those little details. You know, that, you know, it Mm -hmm. doesn't... Other than, like, there's a few, you know, I mean, like, Buffy's, like, emotion in the beginning when she first finds Joyce, and then there's kind of Anya's, you know, emotional moment later. But, like, mostly, there's it's not an episode that's about, like, big emotional breakdowns. Like, it is more about like you said, just those little mundane realities. And like all the, you know, a lot of the moments that really jumped out to me are like just those little tiny details, Um, which I think Joss is pretty good at anyway. Like that's why his characters feel real and kind of lived in is like, if you give them kind of extraneous character quirks that they don't really need, then like, you know, there's something more human about that but this had like you know this had that in spades of like it's just one little superfluous detail after another like you know you don't need the cleaning up the vomit you don't need the fixing the skirt other than to just give you all the like this is the little things that we do when we're just sort of waiting around and not sure what to do is like you do these little kind of adjustments and everything um But like they also like tell you something about like, well, you know, you have to, you know, Buffy has to clean up the mess because that's like the thing she can control in that moment is like, well, at least I can clean this up. We're like, you know, being worried about uh, Joyce's modesty, like even though it's like still there's that kind of disassociation of she's. Not the body yet, she's still kind of Joyce, and there's this refusal to mm-hmm. think of her as the body, so you know, we have to kind of keep her modest so that you know, like you know, still kind of thinking of her in like you know, as a person who's alive and not necessarily as somebody who's gone, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those little.
0: So I know we're already
1: like what's that?
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I um I was just going to say like you you know even though we're already like 20 minutes in I wanted to um mention two other sort of uh you know production not production but more style type things. Mm-hmm. Um one is that um except for like the the sort of family get together flashback, these are all single acts or single, yeah, single scene acts. Um where you get like Buffy in the house is like the first act. Like that's mm-hmm. all it, you know, and then you get like in the school is the second act. And right. the, then you get like um right you the know, dorm the room yeah. in yeah. in the dorm room and then you get um the hospital, you know, as the fourth act. So like these are all and also like these all have very long takes um not you know the entire thing isn't a take but like you have the whole take where like you get a completely new perspective on the summer's house like you see corners of rooms that you've never seen before you know right. like right. and and sort of following buffy through the house um you know, in the school, you get the camera following Dawn like, out of the bathroom and into the hallway and, mm-hmm. you know, down the hall. And, and um, you know, less so with the dorm room, because it's all kind of right there. But you do get um, sort of the grounding of, like, part, you know, get the, you get the shot outside the window of, like, the car, and then it pulls back into the room, mm-hmm. and then it leaves again. In the, so you get, like, these... Um, oh, and then in the hospital, you get, you know, starting out with the doctor in the morgue and then walking down that long hallway yeah. to the waiting room and that kind of. so um you know there are all these moments of uh or not moments but like these long takes to really you know again sort of on that physicality level to show you like these are real places this isn't just like a set stage somewhere you know right um this is like this is a long hospital hallway that we're walking down, and Buffy really is just down the hall waiting for this news. Like, it, you don't, th- there's not, there's no, there's no real cuts in either time right. or space, you know. Um, you don't, you don't jump a lot, except like, you know, at the beginning of each scene where you're sort of establishing the scene, yeah, you know. Um, but even though, like, even sort of the way it's done, you get the sense that this is all sort of happening simultaneously you know until they sort of meet up at the end right Um, right right and if there's
1: no cuts for from going from one room to the other it takes away that sense of like this is tv trickery of like okay it's all edited to look like a real place um whereas if you can make it feel like you know one continuous you know experience it feels like you said a little bit more real Um, like, you know, you could be in there with them, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and so just to sort of build on that too, also, again, sort of ignoring the flashback and the opening, um, the beginning of each of those acts, uh, starts with a shot of Joyce. mm -hmm. So you get, um, immediately after the family dinner, you know, the, the abrupt cut to Joyce's face. Yeah. And then you get, um. The, the, you know, um, them zipping up
2: mm-hmm. the
0: body bag and then you get, um, you know, in the morgue with the doctor and mm-hmm. sort of cutting away her clothes and stuff. Yeah. So just, you know, again, sort of very focused on her.
1: That's interesting about the, I, I maybe kind of subconsciously realized that about the act structure, but didn't necessarily articulate that when I was watching it. So. Um, I think that makes sense is to kind of go through it in order. Um so let's talk about the section with Buffy in the opening. Um you know, I like the kind of cold open of how there's no kind of pre credit sequence, it's just a repeat of the last scene from the last episode. So you kind of get this it's that and then credits. So again there's still sense of like no idea what how this is going to go or you know where the episode could kind of go from there and it's like you don't really want to start that and then interrupt it really it's like again it just makes it feel longer and like a more complete piece Mm -hmm. of action when you can just go and not like stop until you have to do like a commercial and then that's the act break um so i wanted to kind of mention the 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 first, because it kind of starts with the little vision or memory. It's kind of unclear um, about the Scoopies all having dinner together. Again, not quite sure. Is this a holiday? Is it just a Sunday dinner? Um And yeah, I don't know. My first kind of impulse was that, I think because... Uh, throughout the episode, you get these little cutaways of Buffy kind of imagining other things like, oh, what if I rescued her? And, you know, what if they said she's going to be fine? Mm -hmm. Then that kind of prompted me to think that this was kind of a moment of imagining, like, you know, the future that's kind of lost. But I don't know. Then on the second watch, I kind of thought, well it could just as easily be a memory of, you know, a happy time that they all had together. Um, So I wasn't sure if you had an opinion about that one way or the other. Um,
0: Yeah. I've always taken them. uh, I've always taken that to be sort of like a memory mm -hmm. um, of her, like just those like random things that you remember, like, yeah, this is almost like a oh we're never gonna have this again sort of thing, um, with the dinner. Yeah. Um.
1: The
0: uh the sort of fantasies I guess mm-hmm. of of like oh you know it's a miracle we were able to save right. your mom I've never seen one come back you know from that long before kind right. of thing. Um those are josh talks about that a little bit in his um uh commentary and those are definitely those you know those sort of moments where you just sort of like again it's maybe a fleeting idea of if things had just gone a slightly different way Mm -hmm. you know wouldn't this happen and um you know and he says uh Specifically in the commentary, he says, um, he says, I don't know of anyone who's suffered the panic of a great loss who hasn't imagined it going a different way at least a thousand times or more. What feels like a cruel joke to the audience is, in fact, a real moment. So even though. It's sort of like, you know, especially with the first one, if you're not expecting it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you kind of like, oh, wait a minute, like, wow, this took a very different turn than. maybe even i was expecting just now and it does feel i mean it feels totally like a you know damn you weeden moment um yeah but at the same token it's that thing of you know when someone close to you dies you do think of you know it it takes time for you to like really think of them as being gone or to think of like You know, the second time that that happens is when she's talking with the doctor and the doctor's like, it's unlikely that, you know, even if someone had been there, that she would have still been alive. But what, of of course, what is Buffy thinking of exactly the opposite of what the doctor's saying? If only I had been there, right? then she would still be alive. And even though the doctor's saying that's completely unlikely, and then you get like the whole... I know I skipped ahead, but then you get like the doctor saying, oh, you know, I have to lie to you and all that. And so these are like, you know, I don't think those are meant to be like rational thoughts or anything, but I do think they're supposed to be sort of like in those moments, at least we're getting Buffy's perspective of, you know, it's more internal than external, Mm -hmm. you know, she's definitely sort of like, what if this happened or, you know that's that kind of thing
1: well and again with the way it's shot it's so especially the second time like you said with the first one you kind of could almost be fooled by it into thinking that maybe she's being resuscitated but when it kind of starts rushing into the like oh we're in the ambulance and it's a miracle oh we're in the doctor's office like it happens so quickly and that kind of like TV cutting sort of way of, like, we're skipping ahead, like, hours and weeks and everything. Um, You do get that impression of this is all happening in a split second. And, like, this is, you know, Buffy's sort of, like, you know, unconscious, you know, uh, imagining of what if, like you said. Um, And even, like, especially the second time where it's like there's hardly even any time between cutting away from the doctor saying even if you'd been there, you couldn't have done anything to cutting back to him. Like it happened so quickly, like in the space of a couple seconds and everything. Um, Yeah. So it it is that more that just sort of, you can't help, but sit there and think if only, you know, if, and it's always Mm going to be, you know, especially for Buffy, I think something kind of inward, you know, because she's the kind of superhero who, you know, is supposed to save people and saves her friends, you know, it's always going to be, if I had been there, it would have been different. Um, And that's kind of the thing which interested me a lot about that first act with Buffy is the contrast between, I guess, what we normally think of Buffy as being, you know, confident and you know her kind of in control superhero who knows what to do in a crisis and you know can sort of be tough and make decisions and you know seems very mature in all these things to you know that very kind of young you know scared way that she is in this which like i think mm-hmm. kind of picks up from you pointed out the the repetition of, you know, mom and then mommy at the end of the last episode, yeah. you know, of, of, you know, look, if you're it doesn't matter how old you are, or how strong you are, or how capable you are. But like, when your parent dies, you're a little kid again, you know, I think that's, yeah. for anybody that's close with their parents, that probably is, you know, a universal kind of truth. Um you know, and Buffy who can kind of, you know, defeat demons and, you know, gods and monsters and everything has to kind of be coached into doing CPR, you know, because in the panic of the moment, any like ability you have just sort of flies out the window. Um, you know, so the thing of like her kind of having to say to herself, like, I can do this, I can do this. I remember this, like, she just like you know, you just forget how to behave in that sort of situation. Um, You know, but then, of course, like you mentioned, the accidentally cracking her ribs, like that doesn't mean she doesn't still have super strength. Um, You know, so the the contrast of that superhuman physicality with, you know, her complete, you know, I guess innocence in terms of how to handle this situation. Yeah.
0: The um, and like cracking ribs while doing CPR is actually pretty common, right? You don't um, actually so, have to
1: be Buffy to do that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's just you know you're pressing down with a certain amount of weight on someone's rib cage, like that. That's going to happen. Right. Um, you know, regardless, but yeah, you know, definitely there. You know, Buffy is. Uh, there's a helplessness to what she's doing and you know to the point where like she can do basic things but yeah she has to like be told you know what to do basically Um, except for you know like even like in the moments where it's like she hangs up on the 911 person and like calls Giles you know <laughs> like right. you know there's that that thing of like again like it's not her priorities aren't necessarily entirely clear or you know, it like things just sort of happen and she does them mm-hmm. um as she sort sort of thinks uh thinks of them. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um well and And also sort of the the like even when like the paramedics leave like you know the paramedics like giving her instructions, you know, don't move the body, wait for the coroner and yeah. that kind of thing so it's like she almost goes into like standby mode and that's when right. you get like sort of her wandering through the house and looking out the door and throwing up and cleaning up the vomit. And then Chiles comes in, you know, very frantic and worried. And, and she gets up, it's like, you know, she's almost on this programmed response at that point, like, you know, and gets to the, we're not supposed to touch the body. And, right, right. and then that's when it sort of dawns on her and like, you get her, you know, breaking down and crying and sort of realizing what's actually happened. (laughs) Right. Because Um, up
1: until then, you have the kind of, she's like, not acknowledging that it is a body, you know, she's kind of asking, how, what do I do to resuscitate her? Or, you know, she's cold and the the 911 operator says, the body's cold. And she says, no, my mom, should I make her warm? So like, You know, kind of that focus, which which is
0: mm. paralleled at the end with Dawn, right? Yeah. When she asks, Is she cold? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, Um, but you know, but the episode being called The Body and kind of starting and ending on The Body, that kind of this question of, you know, again, to jump ahead, like, is she gone? Where did she go? Is it still her, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, what's kind of nice too, about all the really physical tactile stuff is that kind of, you know, kind of disturbing realization of that's, you know, that's, I'm not saying that's all any of us are because, you know, we, where'd she go? We don't really know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying any of us know what happens after we die, but that kind of realization of the physical reality of life of that, you know,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: at the end of the day, you know, we are all in these, uh, we are all kind of in these bodies. And when we go, that's kind of what's left over. And that's a kind of disturbing thought, you know, especially when it's somebody, you know, that you love somebody you rely on especially for you know these young women who that's kind of their whole life you know that's the person that raised them so um yeah her kind of like it not really sinking in until she really calls it the body and she almost does it accidentally you know right um,
0: it's it's a repetition of the command right right, that right. she's been given
1: right and and you know, freaks her out once she hears it come out of her own mouth. Um, yeah. And so the other thing I wanted to point out about the Buffy section is, uh, you know, that's that part where she does like hang up and calls Giles because I was like convinced that like Lori was gonna burst in, <laughs> you know, because there is that like yeah. the way again the way it's shot with like it almost kind of looks because it's it's just sunny. But, you know, on the first watch, you're sort of led to believe, like, is this, like, bright light bursting through the, you know, it almost looks like unnaturally bright coming through the window. Um, and then Buffy kind of hanging up and calling Giles and saying, she's here. She's at the house, um, which is obviously mm-hmm. what Giles thinks. Like, he comes running in
2: yeah.
1: in a panic. Um Which, you know, again, I kind of read that as, I don't think it's, at first I wasn't, my first reaction was, of all the times for Glory to turn up, now is like, you know, about the worst. Um, And then when I kind of realized that, well, it's not her, you know, my second reaction was like, to wonder if Buffy said that to motivate Giles to come as quickly as he could. Um... But then I kind of feel Hmm. like that could just be, again, the numbness talking of she's not really aware of what she's saying. Like she maybe she's talking about Joyce, you know, she's at like, literally, that's true. She is at the house, not realizing how what she's saying is being misinterpreted because, you know, glory is the furthest thing from her mind at that point. Um, So, again, I don't know whether. That was kind of how you read it, um, but yeah i i mean i don't
0: I don't remember the first time when I watched it thinking that Buffy was talking about glory um, I just took I took it more as like the she's in shock mm. and so like, you know how I mean and I think just even normal people who are't in shock you know, are often unclear in sort of their communication. And so you tend to use a preposition knowing full well who you might be referring to, but other people may not. Um, And I, I've always just taken it sort of that way. Mm. Um, But yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I can't say for sure that I, I guess given other evidence, like I don't feel like, Buffy was really capable at that point of saying like, what's the quickest way to get Giles over here? It's to refer to glory. Um, Right. Right. And like, I don't, but I can't discount that. Like maybe on a subconscious level, she might have thought that like, I, I just, if it was like, I don't think it was conscious.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and I think part of the like power of that is the kind of unexplained, you know, aspect of you, you're not quite sure what's going on in Buffy's mind at that moment, you know, or, you know, if she's even totally aware, like, you know, she's just going from kind of, you know, moment to moment of what needs to be done, you know, in this particular instance. Um, And it's the kind of like double entendres and the, and the ambiguity of it that make it, you know, kind of powerful, I think. Um, and like, you know, that occurred to me too of like, you know, if it's, if it's implicitly kind of reminding you to think about glory at that moment, the fact that glory ends up not mattering to this episode at all, you know, is kind of interesting. Like, I hate to, I almost hate to say this because I feel like this could mean like things that I don't mean to say, but it's almost like the body is kind of the monster of the week. Like it's the, you know, and that's not to like make, you know, Joyce monstrous, but you know, the reality of that dead body in the other room is the thing that everybody is terrified of, Um, you know? So like that seems perfectly natural that Buffy would talk to Giles on the phone about the body as if like exactly like she would talk if it were glory, you know, like, and maybe she's not making that connection on purpose, but there's a similar kind of weight to it of like, there's something really scary here and you need to get here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and functionally in that moment, there's no difference between glory and just, you know, you know, the dead body of her mother. Um, so Okay, well at forty five minutes, let's talk about Dawn. Fucking oh, man. Um and another little fake out because they kind of start with Dawn, you know, right. crying and emotional, which is what you expect. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a normal amount of crying and emotion, you know, of just, you know, school, you know, worries and and gossip and you know mean girls and and you know boys who say things behind your back and all that sort of thing so you know you're kind of set up as if dawn's already got the bad news but of course this is just your average day of like high school angst and like you know um you know the kind of stuff that dawn probably goes through on a regular basis that everybody goes through you know through high school and everything yeah
0: um um and and one of the interesting things i think is how long uh sort of that story plays out mm -hmm. it's almost like the actual part where you get to buffy sort of coming and then telling you know don what happened is actually very brief yeah in the storyline of don it's all more about what's going on with her and at school and you know connecting with this boy Mm -hmm. about you know how they're sad and how he feels like at times he wants to cut himself. And Mm -hmm. yeah, this very, like you said, angsty Mm -hmm. high school sort of um, thing going on. Um, But also, I mean, you know, sort of the artistic right aspect of this is, you know, what are they talking about in art class? It's about, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, drawing the female body, the form, but not just, it's not just drawing the body, it's drawing the negative space, the you know right the part that isn't there, and of course that's very much thematically what yeah, you know this whole episode is about It's about what's not there, it's about you know there's this body, of course, but what is sort of the impression around it yeah. that it leaves and and how do people react to it and see it um,
1: yeah, you know. it's just like the the silhouette you know the 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 shape of it and the kind of hole that it leaves. Um, yeah. Um, and I kind of like how it's like a, a reminder of, uh, you know, with Dawn, apart from all the, you know, things she's gone through in, you know, in her life of Her difficulties getting along with Buffy and, you know, realizing she's a Mm. key of glowing energy and, you know, this goddess being out to get her and all these things, you kind of are reminded that she has, you know, regular kid school problems as well. That like, you know, so not only does she have, you know, the incident of finding out what she is and cutting herself, but then you have all the gossip about the fact that she cut herself You know, and it's so it's that kind of and you kind of realize, like, we don't really see Dawn in any other context. Like, it's still very much like I feel like Buffy's story and you're kind of Mm -hmm. in her perspective, you know, and it's kind of easy to forget that, you know, Dawn then has to go and, you know, deal with this whole other life in high school, you know, that. And especially, like, teenagers don't really want to talk about what's going on at school. So it's sort of like a little peek into this private world that, like, you know, oh, she has these other friends, you know, and she has this girl who's kind of mean to her, and she has this boy who she likes, and, you know, we've never heard about any of those before. Um, You know, I mean, if you thought about it, you could realize that she has those things, but... You know, I think normally you're kind of in it with Buffy and you just don't, or at least I don't think about that kind of stuff. Um, So it's kind of like a nice reminder. I think when Dawn's being a petulant teenager, it's like a nice reminder of like her humanity and that she has this whole other sort of double life going on that she still has to deal with and that nobody really asks her much about you know so
2: yeah
1: you know and and kind of terrible to go from her kind of doing damage control you know to explain you know i'm not really a cutter it just happened one time it was an accident and you know trying to convince people that she's not um you know depressed or weird or a freak or anything to then go of course to everybody watches while she has a meltdown in the hallway, you know? Right. So you kind of are heaping, you know, even more kind of pain on top of her because again, whenever she goes back to school, she's going to have to do damage control all over again of like, explain the, the other kids, like what happened, you know, why I'm not crazy, why I'm not unstable, you know, try to manage everybody's opinion of her. So it kind of, for the moments later where Dawn, like, is kind of, you know, pissy or is sullen or goes off on her own. I felt like, for me, it bought her a lot more sympathy for that. Because you realize how much mm-hmm. she's going through, you know. Um, yeah. And um, so I kind I of, mean, I like of that it took too, the time to do a... that, I think.
0: Yeah. What, one of the other things, too, is from... Um, the story perspective, Dawn is the only one who we see who gets told um that Joyce is dead. So Mm. Buffy obviously walks in and discovers her. Yeah. Um and same with Giles. Giles comes in, sees Joyce, goes over, and then Buffy's like, We're not supposed to touch the body. Like, you know, I I feel like even that's like Giles isn't being told at that point. He probably already kind of knows, (laughs) you know, when he sees her. Yeah. Um And then the other Scoobies, by the time we see them, like, they already know what's going on. So this is also a different sort of thing. Like, you know, for as little control as the others have, like, we're also seeing that Dawn, like, is sort of, I don't know that she's technically the last to know, like, maybe she technically knows before the Scoobies, but like, they're also adults at this point mm-hmm. like and she's not so like yeah. she even has sort of the least control over her environment and knowledge and all of that right. Um, right um and yeah i mean the fact that like you know we spend the first like minute of seeing her bawling and then trying to look like she wasn't bawling you know yeah. in the bathroom um when she emerges to then like you said like basically have a breakdown in front of the entire school
2: right? Um,
0: or at least, you know, her class, like yeah. even her teacher who's like sort of standing there gawking, right, you know, right. um, um, is definitely, I mean, obviously not what she wants, but at that point, like she also doesn't care. Um, also you get the moments of, again, the sort of physicality you get, like the moment of like the chalk, you know, drawing across mm-hmm. the paper and just sort of the, um, you know, different sounds and, like, mm-hmm. feeling in the room, uh, you know, there in the art room.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, which itself is, you know, a very sort of physical thing, as opposed to, like, say, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like she's in math class where they're doing problems or something. Right, know? right. Right. Um. So, yeah. So, the other so- Scoobies... Yeah, um, so act 3. We get uh other than sort of the opening with like Xander and um Anya in the car, mm-hmm. like most of pretty much all of it takes place in their room. Yeah. Um, oh, one of the other things that actually um just about the camera work um so you know we mentioned sort of the long takes there's also Joss mentions like the different um sort of methods of of the camera work um he did a lot of the handheld camera um with Buffy and with Willow and a little bit with Dawn in the hospital more um mm-hmm. where you get sort of that shaky especially, especially like when they're feeling when they're sort of frantic and you know like Willow's running back and forth looking for the right clothes and whatever. Um, But then the other people in those shots are not filmed in that way. So you also get sort of the juxtaposition of say like, um, you know, shots of Tara who is, you know, calm and trying Mm -hmm. to like talk to Willow and, and, you know, all of her
1: right, um, she's very stable, like yeah, you know, the camera yeah. is very still on her, and yeah,
0: um, but also in this scene in particular, um I mean, I think you get it somewhat in other scenes too, but this one in particular, you get a lot of single character shots, mm-hmm. like um you get some as the group, and you know or with more than one person in it, certainly, but um. You know, one of the other things that Joss talks about, too, is how, you know, this idea of funerals and, well, and we haven't, like, this isn't even a funeral, right? This is all, like, leading up to that eventuality. Um, But, like, you know, just that the loss of someone, um, you know, he said in in a lot of, like, TV and um, movies and stuff, you get that idea of, you know, losing someone brings people together and... And his his sort of commentary is that, you know, actually in life, that seems not to be the case. That, mm-hmm. it, that it tends to be more of a dividing factor yeah. and making people feel more alone than mm-hmm. um, whatever. So you get a lot of these shots, um, especially in this scene, uh, of sort of the different Scoobies kind of isolated. um yeah. In, you know, in their frame or whatever. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, just so, to point that out I didn't have anything more to
1: say about it <laughs> <laughs> no I mean it's all good like I you know I think he he obviously you know put a lot of thought into what it feels like to be in that situation and I think that comes through in the choices mm-hmm. that he's you know making for how to shoot everything Um, you know and mm-hmm. I appreciate too cuz there's that TV thing of somebody dies and you cut to the funeral but this is really about that that the that period in between that kind of you know the minutia and the drudgery of like dealing with you know you know all the nonsense that you have to do you know like forms and paperwork and all that kind of thing and so but even like finding the room for humor in that. Like, it's not like life just stops and funny things still happen, but within the kind of, that doesn't negate the sadness of the moment, which I think is the really great thing about Willow's whole, you know, dilemma over what to wear, you know, um, like it is really funny in a kind of, you know, neurotic Willow sort of way. Um, but also sad because it's all because of her sensitivity in the moment of mm-hmm. what can I wear that will be the most, you know, respectful, the least offensive thing. But I love that it's so Willow because she does wear a lot of ridiculous things like and that's been kind of a part of the character from the beginning is it's a lot of bright colors and like shirts mm-hmm. with like little cutesy things on them and big prints and things don't really match and all this stuff. So of course her in this context is stuck without anything because like, and I love her kind of realization of like, why does everything I own have like stupid things? on? (laughs) Like, you know, that just feels like something you do is just sit there, you know, for an hour obsessively, you know, rejecting every single thing you own, you know, um, you know, in an effort to pick the right thing you know, that feels very real to me. Um, Mm. And like funny in a kind of honest, this is how people react kind of way. Um, Sure. You know, and like the symbolism, of like, well, I can't wear purple because it's too royal. And then I'm going to seem like I'm better than Buffy. And, you know, like, you know, nothing, everything has to be kind of rejected on some really, you know, you know, specific sort of reason. So
0: um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh one of the things Joss talks about is um sort of the humor being um a matter of perspective you know a matter of wrong Mm -hmm. perspective in many cases um sort of in this episode and so you get that with willow um he, he also said that that scene is actually based on a real life situation of him um attending uh or you know about to attend the funeral of someone that he knew and was you know friends with or whatever um uh where he Uh, went to like six or seven different stores and was trying to find like the perfect tie, you know, and that kind of thing. And and like, it sort of occurred to him, like how ridiculous that is, but also how important it was to him at the time to get it right. to have that right tie and that sort of thing. Um, And then of course, you know, the added ironies of like Anya, you know, finding it and stuffing it into a drawer where it's, even less likely to be found because, you know, Willow already looked there or whatever. So right, she's probably right. not going to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, again, there's sort of a humor in it, but also not because it is those things, that sort of thing that people, you know, do. It's just, yeah, you get fixated yeah. on it.
1: It's that, it's the kind of humor of, you're not laughing at them. You're laughing because you recognize that, you know, of, you know, that that recognition of this is how people are and this is absolutely what you would do in that situation. Um, And, you know, obviously Willow being a really good choice for that, you know, of her kind of overthinking everything, over kind of analyzing and intellectualizing all of her choices, you know, um, whereas Tara like you said, with the still camera is very much the opposite of that. She's very, you know, calm and, you know, but like calming to the others, like she's just there as Mm -hmm. this sort of, you know, helpful kind of support, Um, which, you know, we kind of find out later in the scene with Buffy, why that is, that this is, you know, she's been, you know, on the other side of that and probably has a good idea of what it is that other people need in this situation. Um, But also I think because she's newer to the group, so, you know, she's probably aware of the fact that, you know, I can be the supporter because this doesn't affect me as closely. Like she hasn't known Joyce, you know, as long as the others have. you know, like, and, and again, that feels very real of people kind of assigning themselves specific roles of like, you know, well, I know my friend is going to be very distraught. So it's my job to sort of, you know, be there for them and take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, But you also kind of have a hierarchy of that because it's like Willow's mission is to be there for Buffy, but she needs Tara to be there for her too. You know, so you kind of. Right you know, I have to sort of you know, go in order of who's the most traumatized, I guess, in the situation. Um
0: and so sort of going against what I was saying before though, of course, <laughs> um, about the sort of separation in different shots too, there's also some pointed uh combinations of people, right? And of course we get um Tara and uh willow kissing in Mm -hmm. this episode which is their first kiss um and this is so uh at the time this was rather controversial Mm. um partly it's like one of those things where it's like controversial even though it like shouldn't have been because it's it seems very natural and loving and like not that big of a deal. Uh, well and like
1: first... it kind of is shocking to realize it hasn't happened yet. Like you don't realize that like, oh yeah, I guess this is the first one, you know.
0: Yeah, right. And we've seen them like hold hands and you sort of right. assume that they've kissed. Like they Right. Right. We've seen them sort of in bed together and and sort of the metaphorical magic slash sexual, right. you know, stuff yeah. going on. Um but there's also so in <sighs> You know, again, this is 2001. So, um, I don't know how accurate mm-hmm. this list is, but, uh, on Wikipedia, I mean, there'd only actually been maybe a dozen or so, um, kisses between women on TV, like to that point. Um, the first, at least according to this list, being in, uh, 10 years earlier on LA Law. But one of the, um, you know, one of the things that, uh Joss was sort of trying to counter here was this idea of the the in super quotes with you know capital letters the lesbian kiss episode Mm -hmm. where you would have like these sort of convoluted plots designed to get two female characters to kiss but it was never about like their relationship or whatever it was totally uh uh ratings thing even to the point where like a lot of these episodes would air during like sweeps weeks and that kind of thing um and it it happened on you know a number of different shows um you know even between like characters who weren't actually lesbian but it was just you know hey it's two women let's right it's a contrived
1: situation yeah together Um,
0: yeah yeah and so um you know, when, when Josh wrote this episode, he wanted it to be very much just, uh, you know, this is a good time to like show that they're just a normal couple. And this is, you know, them sharing a a nice moment between lovers, you know, who are, uh, sort of feeling the pain of, of having lost someone and, um, and expressing, you know, to each other that, that love. And, um, he actually apparently, Threatened the the network executives at the WB did not like it, um, mm-hmm. wanted it not to be there, or at least were concerned about its inclusion. Mm-hmm. And Whedon basically said it's not negotiable. Well, you know this is true to character, and and they'll, you know this is what's going to happen. And he threatened to walk away from the show over it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know I think now it's certainly you know again we've talked about how looking back uh sometimes perspective obviously changes but um
2: right
0: yeah again at the time like that e- like even i think watching it now it's not it doesn't seem like that, that big of a deal and that's kind of the point is it's not it's just something that you know they would do um right there's nothing but like at the time yeah. it, it was very much a sort of controversial moment uh but yeah
1: yeah Well, and you kind of like maybe the fact that it's not even, you know, contrived or titillating or anything would make it even more controversial because it's it's portrayed as just, you know, like maybe those earlier episodes, you could, you know, even if people objected to them, they could dismiss them on the grounds of it's, you know, gratuitous and it's for ratings and it's all these other things. Whereas this is portrayed as, you know, like natural as part of the relationship, you know, and you could see the outcry being that it kind of normalizes too much their relationship, which is kind of the point, you know? Um, And like, absolutely. That was my, that was my impression was in no way is, is it meant to be that this is their first kiss. It's just the first one that we've seen on camera and that it's not a kind of you know, Joyce's death isn't being exploited in order to get these two characters to be like intimate with each other. It's, it's, it's that they've already done that. Um, we just, you know, are, are, you know, choosing this moment in order to show that to the audience, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: um, and you you reminded me, too, one of the other things about the whole, like, you know, lesbian kiss episode is that um, a lot of times, in, you, you know, before uh, this, and I'm sure probably after as well, um, you know, one of the characters, at least, was usually, like, a guest star that week. Like, it wasn't even, right. like, between, like, main characters. It was right. just someone, like, brought on explicitly to, like,
2: right.
0: have a kiss with another woman kind of thing. And,
2: right,
0: right. Um. Yeah, so uh so okay, so we talked about Willow and Tara um individually and together uh Xander has mm. sort of an interesting like angry uh reaction again, very physical yeah. <laughs> right, of course, he's the body right 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 not 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 the title body uh but in our soul triptych. Yeah, uh, he's the body so like we sort of expect you know a physical response yeah. from him um,
1: yeah he wants somebody to blame um, yeah. whether it's you know Glory or the doctors um, you know there has to he kind of says like you know somebody's got a and I assume he means like you know answer for this or pay for this or something like there has to be a you know something we can do you know physically mm-hmm. and that that means beating somebody up you know or yelling at somebody then you know all the better because then he can release up the you know the pent-up frustration and everything um so yeah that kind of works with my kind of physical theory for Xander. um you know, and of course there is like we kinda talked about that at the end of the last episode, how it's just a kind of mundane natural death. There's nobody there's nobody at fault in this particular time. You know, you can't um go out and get vengeance on a on a vampire or anything. Um you know and But Xander with that physical reaction has to punish something so he punishes the wall and punches his hand through it. Um, which, like, again, with the humor of just, like, people just are still people, and they're going to do occasionally, you know, ridiculous things. And, you know, um, it's still kind of sad and even a little bit dangerous, but also you have to kind of have that moment of, oh, roll your eyes at, you know, silly Xander who gets himself into these jams and everything. Um
0: Um and then you get to Anya. Yeah. <laughs> um with her uh highly inappropriate questions. Right, um, right. But at the same time, you know, realizing that she you know, part of it is she just doesn't know. Right. Um but it you know, one of the things that I like about Anya's sort of uh outburst not outburst but sort of breakdown here is that she she's expecting others to know and it's kind of you know at first I think you're led to sort of believe that like her um you know her response is that you know she's just ignorant of what the right questions are, Mm. but that that's actually not it, or at least that's not all of it. Um, Her ignorance is more around believing that other people have the answers to those questions. Mm. And so, you you know, uh, there's a sort of, well, you get the, you get the impression that like, you know, we, you know, uh, Willow and Tara and Xander, and sort of us, I'm sure, in our own ways, like we all have our own responses to mm-hmm. uh, to death and and sort of come up with our own reasons, but you know when it all boils down to it, um like Willow says, it's like none of us really knows like we don't actually know yeah. what's going on we yeah. Some people believe certain things, and that's fine, but there's really no answer. But that's not how we act when things like this happen. The you know, we all sort of act in ways that sort of imply or suggest that maybe we all individually know, and nobody has to talk about it because we all know already. When in fact, that's not actually the case, like, Mm -hmm. and so you know, someone like Anya, who's already not, you know, up to speed on sort of human emotion and, uh, you know, social sort of cues, uh, you know, she comes in sort of seeing everyone acting like they know and expecting Mm -hmm. to have an answer to these questions. And so, um, other than Buffy and, um, like the paramedics and, and 911 dispatcher on is the only other person who uses the phrase, the body mm-hmm. in this episode too. Like, and, and she uses it twice, right? It's like, you know, are we going to see the body first of all? And then, you know, are we going to, um, you, you know, are they going to uh, cut into the body? Like,
2: mm.
0: you know, again, like it's, it, it's bad enough just to like view it. Right. But, um, she asks first if, if you're going to see it and then are they going to cut it open? Mm. You know, what's what's going to happen? And, you know, again, from sort of the very literal perspective, you can sort of understand her just trying to get information, um, but it's not until you get sort of the breakdown of why she's asking these things. It's because she just, she it seems like her missing information is information that other people have. But when you find out that, the piece that she's missing is that no one else really knows what's going on. Right. That's when you realize like, Oh, this is, this is why she's acting this way.
1: Right. And I think that's kind of Willow's mistake. And, you know, the easy kind of thing to assume is that like, I think why Willow kind of gets offended at first and why it could be easy to dismiss Anya, is you feel it could be just, that it's a problem of tact of like, that's kind of Willow's complaint is like, you're impolite. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're vulgar and ask inappropriate questions and say things when you should be quiet and all these things. Whereas I think in some ways, Anya is more ignorant than we kind of give her credit for being in that. Like you said, it's a literal asking for information. It's not a matter of, Oh, you know, like the joke about Anya, the word Smith, like she doesn't necessarily know how to phrase things in a human and polite way, but that she's genuinely asking for information. You know, it's, it's not about, it's not even about I'm worried to see a dead body. It's a literal question of what happens next. Can you explain to me the process? You know, she's not, it's not kind of, as deliberate, I think, as, like, you know, what Willow is kind of assuming it to be of, you know, you know, that, that maybe Anya's worried about what roles she has to play and everything. It's more Anya asking for guidance of, you know, what is expected of me. Um, you know, which I kind of like at the end, like, even after the breakdown and everything, as they're leaving, she's still kind of asking, how are we going to help? Like, <laughs> like... We've had this whole conversation and I still don't understand like what our job is here. Like she's happy to help. She just wants to know what it is. Um, and yeah, like the literal inability for anybody to answer that, like, you know, and it obviously goes beyond the questions of how do we help? It goes to like the more metaphysical things of like, why do people die? You know, like that's kind of really what yeah. Anya is asking underneath is, you know, not how, not just what do I do now that she died, but why did she have to die, and why can't she, you know, you know, have these things anymore, like fruit punch and you know, brushing mm. her hair and everything, um, you know, and yeah. there's no answer to that question, you know, not none that any of the other characters can give anyway, um, you know, and I think that's sure. kind of Anya's realization is that. These are questions that this is why everyone freaks out because we don't know, and that's why we start doing you know things like irrational things like changing our clothes and millions. It's just some attempts to manage something which isn't manageable um so like you know, I think Anya's kind of going through what everyone else is. It's just that she doesn't realize that, like you said, like she thinks everybody else understands this process more than she does and they all have some sort of clue as to how this all works if they would only kind of share it and Mm -hmm. you know her kind of realizing that that's not necessarily the case everybody's as ignorant as she is in that moment
0: yeah yeah and i i do think there's a moment there too where i mean willow with her response sort of realizes that yeah like, absolutely yeah you know there's uh and i you know i'm not saying that there's a gonna be a great shift in how willow and you know uh anya sort of interact together but right. i do think there's at least a moment of hey this is maybe a, maybe i'm being a little unfair to anya because this is something where none of us knows what's really going on
1: right Yeah, no, I totally think that Willow understands what it is that she's asking after she kind of has her moment where she explains herself. Um, And I feel like both Willow and Buffy have a moment of being more soft towards Anya, you know, because later when, you know, Anya again kind of tactlessly says, you know, I wish Joyce didn't die, like in the most obvious way ever, you understand that Mm. that that is... She's literally saying the same thing as anybody else when they phrase it a little bit more eloquently or sensitively. But that's what that's what she's expressing, you know, and Buffy kind of very sincerely tells her thank you. Like she understands what she means. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think like. Right. Other people might say,
0: you know, sorry for your loss or something. Right. You know, whereas she just sort of blurts it out
1: like, yeah yeah but really there's no difference so i think i think both willow and buffy have a moment like that where they understand that um yeah. and appreciate it like they under they appreciate the sentiment behind what anya's saying
0: mm-hmm. yeah um all right and so with that we sort of jump to the hospital um, Yeah uh and i mean there's you know there's a bit we already talked a little bit about like the you know the doctor you know coming down from the morgue and um
1: the conversation
0: where buffy sort of imagines him saying you know right. i have I, to I lie, lie. To you. yeah <laughs> yeah um so but i i did want to talk about at least two aspects um and one is uh again with Tara, um only this time her mm. sort of uh conversation with Buffy and even just the situation of it. Because it's like of course this is that moment where like you're left alone. Um and Josh sort of points it out right it's it's the the moment where you're left alone in sort of your deepest moment of grief with someone who you don't really know all that well yeah. and you don't really know yeah, the awkwardness of that yet. moment. Um, yeah. Even though You know, even though Tara's sort of been around and, and like, we've seen, you know, we've seen her and Buffy interact together. Like, this isn't the first time I think even that we've seen the two of them alone. Right. So, but like, or at least just like talking to each other, um, sort of without Willow. I think it's happened once or twice anyway. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is that sort of awkward thing of like, you don't really know what to say to each other. Um, Until you get Tara sort of acknowledging that she's been through this before. Kind of. Yeah. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, So in a way, she kind of understands, you know, more immediately than anybody else. Um, Which is kind of what I was alluding to. Like, that's kind of what makes Tara such a good support in this episode. is just her kind of quiet understanding. Um, you know, she's helpful, you know, Willow can kind of like worry about what Buffy needs and go and get her food and everything. But Tara is helpful just by being there, you know, um, you know, and kind of saying, but not, not in a intrusive way, because she's very clear about the fact that this is a very, you know, individual thing, and I'm not here to tell you what I went through or how it's going to be from now on or anything. It's just a sense sure. of I understand, you know, what you're feeling. Um.
0: Yep, yep, and you know, again, since the only other episode we've seen from Joss this year is or this season is from. Um, the episode family yeah like that that almost gives it this is almost sort of a, a coda mm. on that right because you're getting how poorly uh women in tara's family have been treated mm. and then realizing that you know her mother died at 17 so like in a in a way uh or when tara was 17 sorry not when her mother was 17 right but um you know, still, like, that's a young age to lose a parent. And um, just that idea of, like, even the things that she's gone through the last few years while she's been away to college and, you know, hasn't had sort of her mother's support or learning, uh, you know, or experiencing or even just someone to tell about, you know, being with willow and you know sort of the new experiences that she's having and that kind of thing um sort of goes along with all of that stuff from family um but yeah i mean i think the connection here to uh you know with just trying to be someone that buffy can talk to like in a mm-hmm. way there's also a sense of it can be awkward to like be stuck with the person you don't really know in your moment of grief. But I think the other aspect too, is that sometimes that's exactly who you need right. To right. talk to is like someone who you don't know that well and who maybe you can open up to a little more and like, they don't have a long, deep conversation, but you know, Buffy does ask the question of, you know, was it sudden and like just sort of what are, you know, what, clearly we know what's on Buffy's mind, right? It's Mm -hmm. the suddenness of it. It's the one minute, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm walking through the door asking my mom a question and the next minute I know, like, she's dead. Mm -hmm. And, okay, Joyce was dead before that, we know. But, like, Buffy, to Buffy, she was still alive when she was walking in the door of her house, right? Like, Buffy didn't know what she was going to turn and find. So just that suddenness and, and, you know, Tara's response of no. Okay. So apparently her mother maybe had a protracted sickness, you know, something that was terminal, but maybe, uh, they saw coming, Mm -hmm. you know, for several months or longer, you know, but then also that thing of it's always sudden, like you're never prepared for when it happens. And just that, uh, You you know, that thing of, you know, on one sense, all death is universal, even though specifically the details might be very different. Um, So, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Uh, I like that little moment there where they're able to sort of um, one again, sort of provide a coda on Tara and her family and whatever, even even. Despite the fact that like Tara gets very little sort of screen time or even words to say in this episode, um you know sure. sort of rounds out her background and experience a bit and then but also sort of gives Buffy that perspective of well, hey, actually people do get through it
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: as bad as it might seem right now, and that you do have someone to talk to who isn't just sort of like trying to be nice or doesn't really understand
1: right and even the suddenness of it not that she wouldn't have wished for the time to make her peace and say goodbye and everything in a way that's kind of a it it kind of like lets buffy know not to spend her time wishing, you know, things were another way, because it's always hard, no matter what happens, you know, even if it's a long illness, it's always sudden, and you're never really ready for it. And, you know, the kind of fantasies of, you know, uh, if if it had only been different, if I'd only done something differently, wouldn't necessarily make it, you know, better, it would just sort of be different, because, it's always going to be difficult and it's always going to be individual to each person. Um, Right. Yeah. And I like, I like that, even though Tara doesn't get a lot of lines, as you said, she's very much like a presence throughout the scenes that she's in, you know, and kind of strong in that just very quiet, supportive way. Um, You know, and you kind of get to that that's part of the not knowing her very well is that you don't have to talk that much. You know, she's not going to, you know, overwhelm you with, with questions and concerns. She's just kind of going to be there if you need her. And that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a relief in that moment when it's just Mm. the two of them and things can kind of settle down a little bit. Sure. All right. So, we do have to talk about the last scene where we do get like the one, uh, supernatural event, I guess of the episode, which is just your kind of standard issue vampire attack (laughs) in the, in the morgue, you know, um, I guess to kind of preface it a little bit, you know, there's Dawn, uh, you know, kind of shutting down a little bit. Um, and, You mentioned earlier, like, the fact that she's the only character to be told what happened in the episode. And I kind of like that that's, like, this running theme with Dawn is everyone knowing more than she does. And this feeling of Mm. constantly being left out of, like, vital information. So you even get the kind of, like, her resistance to even believe that it's true at the beginning. So, of course, you know, what does she do when she gets the chance? She's going to go off and investigate. She has to see it for herself. Um, You know, I guess kind of like Buffy, it's not real until she acknowledges that it's really just a body and there's, you know, Joyce isn't in it anymore. Um, Right. Like Buffy had that moment in the beginning, but Dawn has to have that for herself. Um. And, you know, but when she's in there, she gets sort of interrupted. And again, with the the emphasis on physicality, you know, that it's this completely naked vampire, you know, so you have, you know, with teenage Don, you know, in kind of like, you know, the fact that he kind of gets off the table and you just sort of can tell he's naked under the sheet. That's kind of more physically revealing than, you know, Dawn's probably had any sort of experience of before. So you have again, like kind of physicality being something scary, I think. Um mm. And yeah, I mean, I was kind of tempted for a second to say, you know, it's the kind of token you need a, a, monster to fight in the episode. But I like the way that, again, that's subverted. And there's this fight with the vampire, but then you realize they're way more terrified of Joyce on the table than they even were of the vampire. You know, like, you know, Mm. you defeat the monster, but there's still, you know, the body over there. And, like, you know, the tension and the fear doesn't go away just because the vampire's been you know, defeated. Um, which I think keeps up this idea of like, that's to me, like the scariest thing in the episode is just, you know, the reality of that situation.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Like, and earlier, like you said, the, you know, the body is sort of the monster of the episode and, and, I mean, I think that's where you get at the end. And so, um, with the physicality of this episode, um, so two things. One, yes, the vampire being naked and whatever, but also like way more corpse-like than we normally see vampires being, um, you know, you think of like a lot of the vampires we see and they're like Spike and Angel. They're like, they're just people, like except they have pointy teeth and whatever. But Mm -hmm. this is like a corpse that just Mm -hmm. got up and rose, you know, like it's not, uh, you know, for whatever reason, maybe just hasn't had time to like heal yet into like its new body. Like it's still sort of decrepit and whatever. And so like, that's part of it, but also, um, you know, the other thing, you know, in thinking about the physicality of the episode overall and this last scene is you get Dawn asking, you know, is she cold? You know, again, which sort of echoes mm-hmm. Buffy in the beginning saying, you know, uh, she's cold and the 911 operator is like, you know, the body. And she like, no, mm-hmm. my mother. And now you get Buffy saying it's not her. Yeah. Um, she's gone. So you know, sort of 180 degree turnaround Mm -hmm. for Buffy in that moment. Um, But also getting Dawn at the very end, reaching out to Mm. touch her mother. And given the physicality of the episode, the fact that like, we don't see that touch. Like we don't know if Mm. Dawn ended up touching her or not. Right. right? It cuts
1: away like just the barest second. So, yeah.
0: So you do like, there is that, you know, and maybe that's just Joss being a tease, but Mm. like, there is that moment of all the physicality that's around it is also sort of avoiding the body too. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, all the, all the moments except for like the CPR, which is like an attempt to revive right. You know, life, all of the moments, all of the physicality is, you know, to sort of avoid the idea that it's just a body that mm-hmm. it's, that Joyce is actually gone. And so, you know, you get all these people doing all these things to sort of reaffirm life Mm -hmm. or to, uh, you know, at least distract themselves from death. (laughs) Um, yeah. But this final moment of, you know, Don potentially touching the body, it, you don't get that satisfaction one way or the other.
1: Right.
0: Right. So I don't know, I I feel like it's a very, it's powerful, although I'm not, I'm not entirely sure I know what it's, what Joss is saying or trying to say here. Like there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, sort of a very uh, emotional sort of aspect to it, I think. Yeah. And
1: that's, I think why it kind of made an impact on me. The ending is the, that I don't, the ambiguity of it, of, I don't know at all what it's really saying you know and that's like bothersome you know um and you know and dawn's question about where'd she go kind of echoing anya i think of like you know asking the real question there of you know what does you know death mean and again the episode ends there's no answer to that question that we can give each other. You know, Buffy, Buffy has no, Buffy knows she's gone, but she can't explain what that means um, or why that is. Um, Yeah. So it just sort of hangs there. Um, Yeah. yeah.
0: So there we are.
1: (laughs) Oh, I don't know. where else, and I don't how think, I mean it's to not, wrap up obviously from there? It's I mean, like, it, it kind of ends episode. on a... Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I don't know that we're meant to have... Like, this isn't... um You know, Josh explicitly said that Buffy would never have, like, the very special episode where you kind of have, you know, the issue you're dealing with for the yeah. week and then, like, everything wrapped up sort of neatly. And I mean, here's some the lesson you're supposed to learn. Up, yeah. You know, yeah. better than others, but... Like, this is, you know, where some other show might have, like, you know, an episode on death, you know, but, it, you know, again, you would get that sort of, like, everyone's closer at the end and, you know, you all sort of get some sort of closure. Like, this is not yeah. any of that.
1: Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On that note.
0: (laughs) On that happy note.
1: (laughs) On that happy note. Going to another story with no closure. Um, And we'll see. I mean, I think. Another
0: episode. I mean, you know, it's a two. We at least know this is a two-parter.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'll kind of. Zygon invasion. I'll kind of definitely admit, you know, that I I quite like this two-parter, but. I think a lot of the really juicy stuff is, is more in the second half. So we are dealing with like a lot of setup, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, which when it's a two parter, I think that's fair enough, but, um, you know, we'll see kind of,
0: yeah, that what may we not have be to a, say about it. Given how long we've talked about the body. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Yeah. We need something a little more, uh, I don't know, easy to get through. Um, Actually, one quick uh thing I did want to mention from a production level is that the writer of this episode is Peter Harness, who wrote Kill the Moon and uh the Jonathan Strange and Mr Gnarl adaptation. So, um cool. he's coming back, you know. Well, for the the second uh second year in a row and I think different issues, but kind of interesting that his episodes have more of a political twist. It seems to me than a lot of the other Mm. writers do. So, um, if you want to kind of look at that as like a through line, um, although this story was actually Moffat's idea that he kind of gave Harness the assignment as uh, a kind of a sequel to the day of the doctor, like, You know, okay, we have this whole zygon plot that we left sort of unresolved. Where does that go from here? So that's sort of the the basic premise of the idea.
0: Sure. So where
1: did you want to start?
0: Um Well, let's let's talk about the setup of the setup. (laughs) I guess if this episode is the setup for the rest of the plot, then Let's talk about that um uh, you know sort of bridge from uh you know day of the doctor and all that um mm-hmm. to this episode um now remind me, the zygons were a new uh monster for day of the doctor, right no, they or, had one other they...
1: episode in the classic series, yeah, they had one story in the in the classic series so they were uh a classic monster but not very well mined. Like nothing near like one story as opposed to like the Daleks or the Cybermen or something. Sure. So okay. there was a lot more room, I think, to do, you know, new things with them. But um
0: Yep. So in um Day of the Doctor, we get the the Zygons, um uh, you know, and they're uh, would be invasion i guess um or i mean I guess it does end up being an invasion, although well whatever mm-hmm. um, you know you get the you, you get them sort of coming and you get them um, transforming uh into other people mm-hmm. but i guess uh the the conceit here is that uh previously they they needed to keep the other person alive to um, continue to mimic them. Mm. But now they figured out a way where they can kill off the original and uh, retain, um, you know, that person's look right. or whatever. Um, you also get the, the uh, sort of the plot device in Day of the doctor where uh, you have the, doctors sort of trapping everyone in a room and you know nobody can remember mm-hmm. uh who which which they are uh whether they're human or zygon um and so you get their uh you know you get them sort of coming up with this last minute truce like if if you don't know which you are then of course you don't know what side of the debate you on, but you certainly know that you don't want to die. So right, right. you end up... Uh, so we can all agree to live, you know, yeah, we it's can, kind of... We the, can all agree yeah. to stop, you know, the device from blowing up or whatever it was. Um, right. Then we also get... So although it wasn't... Um, uh, although it wasn't a sequel to that, we get uh, Osgood appearing then later mm-hmm. in... Um, was it the finale? Yeah. Of, yeah. Of the, of the last season. Yeah. Uh, right. So where you get, um, her being killed by, uh, uh, Missy. Mm-hmm. But of course we don't know which her got killed, right? Which Osgood got killed. We don't know if it was the human Osgood or the Zygon Osgood because right. now we find out that, uh, and I'm, I think at the time we sort of assume, uh that it's the human one. Uh, right, right. You know, because everything else has sort of been resolved, uh, or so we thought, from right. the Zygon uh, previous uh, story. So now we have uh, the introduction of, apparently after the whole Day of the Doctor thing, they put into uh, practice this, Operation double uh you know, um where you would have these zygons uh living on Earth sort of as people, mm-hmm. um, as humans. Um and you get like sort of the different disguises that they're in, right? Like you get the two little girls yeah. uh and that kind of thing. I um, like that they're
1: the like high command, you know, as these little right. these little schoolgirls, um who you kind of wonder if the doctor has the wrong people when he's sort of talking to them, but then they sort of start talking about, you know, this is our jurisdiction doctor and everything. And you realize (laughs) that's actually them. Um,
0: And and then you have, um, and so of course you find out that there's another Osgood out there. Um, And again, you don't know which is, uh, which she is she visits the grave of her sister right. but we don't know uh still which you know which is which um and that there's even a hint that maybe they were both a bit of both that mm. um whether that's actually true or not that seems to be uh sort of the story that osgood is the, the osgood right. that's still alive is sticking to that
2: right
0: um that somehow they're DNA or whatever got um, sort of mingled. And so there was a bit of each uh, in both of them. Um,
1: Yeah, you kind of get the doctor name checking the hybrid. You know, every episode it's sort of, hmm, the hybrid. Could you be the hybrid? Like, you know, that's the sort of running theme of the season. Um, But yeah, like, again, like you said, whether or not that's true or whether or not osgood believes it that's that's the the you know reality that she's chosen to sort of present to everyone else um you know and this refusal to explain to anybody not just you know not just the 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 rebel zygons but to you know even to the doctor even to like her closest allies she's you know refusing to say i think that's interesting like you know i think in this kind of episode is so much about, you know, fear of the other and, and these prejudices and everything. Mm -hmm. And that even the doctor who's kind of for the peace treaty is the pacifist is steadfastly like, you know, the kind of righteous, you know, good guy. Even he kind of really wants to know which is which, you know? So there's even that sense of, It even makes a difference Mm. to him, you know, and so she's her decision to just not tell anybody because even her her own allies, it would make a difference to know, you know, Um, it would it would matter to everybody to know which one Mm. she is. Um, So. Yeah, I find that kind of interesting and that. I don't, definitely hadn't occurred to me before when osgood was killed that you know you kind of just assume that you know day of the doctor it, it the zygons they worked it out somehow you don't necessarily expect them to come back to it and so right. it was definitely a surprise when you know you realize that there were two of them although i feel like it kind of it helps with the fridging of Osgood a little bit to know that there's more than one of them. (laughs) Like, all right. right. Not that I'm not sad that she got killed by Missy, but like, it's kind of good to know, Oh, they're actually, we weren't done with her story yet that she has, you know, there's more to her character that can keep going into the future beyond, you know, the death of one of them. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, okay, so you get the idea that, um, you know, part of the reason why we're not sure is because of this sort of evolution of the Zygon Mm -hmm. that, you know, they no longer need the original. So, um, you know, old Zygon would have, you know, if, if human Osgood was the one who died, then the old Zygon should have turned back into whatever, or, you know, found a different person to look like or whatever. Um, but this evolution took place and apparently it was in sort of existing Zygons. Like it wasn't like the next generation or something where it manifested itself. It, it was some sort of mutation or something that spread throughout the existing Zygon. Right. Uh, whatever. Um, so, uh, you get you get these. Which okay, so then then you start thinking about okay, numbers wise, like okay, so how many people actually are Zygons, and if they're able to be Zygons, you know, uh, you know, if they're able to imitate sort of the form of people, mm-hmm. then. Uh, there's, and we know that they're sort of actively going around or some of them are actively going around killing certain people. Then it becomes a question of like numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many are there actually out there? Um, and we get sort of an answer to that in that like that there's been this invasion slowly taking place over a number of years. Mm -hmm. Um, I, don't, I can't remember if they actually say how many. Years,
1: I don't think they're quite um, clear on it. They're like um, a little fuzzy about exactly when this is set. Um. Yeah. Uh,
0: and so, um, you know, and so like you get like, again, you, you know, the girls who are like the good Zygons, I guess, or at least mm-hmm. like the peaceful Zygons. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you find out that like there are these other Zygons who are going around killing people and taking their forms. And, um, it's not clear how many of each kind there are either. Like, you know, they've been apparently eliminating some of the peaceful Zygons as they're Mm -hmm. taking over, maybe possibly even taking over the forms that the peaceful Zygons had assumed. Yeah. Um, Uh, and so, uh yeah it it becomes really unclear as to like how many we're actually talking about here um
1: right and, and that's that part this... of the that's part of the general fear is we don't know what they look like and we don't know how many they are and they could be anywhere you know so that kind of fear of you know infiltration of you know not only are they different from us but they're almost undetectable and mm-hmm. so you know How can you kind of, you know, protect yourself against that? I think at at one point they do give a number of, they say there are 20 million Zygons housed across the earth. But like you said, we don't necessarily know how many of them are, you know, peaceful and how many are, you know, uh, radical or revolutionary, I guess. But definitely you have that sense of they are far you know, the humans far outnumber, you know, the Zygons. So this is very much like a, like the doctor keeps calling them like a splinter group of, you know, this is very much a kind of small minority of, you know, radicalized, um, you know, sect of the population and everything. Um, So, yeah, but I don't think we get like a sense of, you know, they could probably make it seem like their numbers are a lot greater than they really are.
0: And, and that's, you know, you know, that's part of the fear, right? Is that it might be a small number, but you don't know if it's the one next door or the one across the world, right? That's, that's, that closeness um, is sort of the fear. And of course, um, I mean, you could take that and, and talk about sort of playing off of, uh, you know, sort of the current fears, at least in the U.S. of yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, people who come from the Middle East or whatever, and and you know, you know, the vast majority. Uh, it's like that. It's like that chart that um I've seen going around. It's like of the you know like, whatever hundreds of thousands of you know Middle Eastern mm-hmm. um people who have emigrated to the you know United States is there's been like two who have ever been like right. arrested for you know some sort of terrorist right. thing or whatever so you know it, right. it's that it, like you said like is that very small uh bit of the population that actually might even be um you know uh might have nefarious uh thoughts or deeds but it's right. because you don't know and you can't tell that that's what that's where sort of the terror and fear and uh, yeah. anxiety comes from. <clears throat> well, um, and those
1: two can so and, it can. It, I think there can be created like a a sense of those two doing enough damage for everybody that like people will care more about those two. You know who sure. you know do go out and you know, uh, you know, do violence, you know, rather than think about the, the small percentage of, you know, the population and this, I forget when exactly this episode premiered, but it was basically like the week or very close to when, um, the, the refugee crisis was very much in the news this fall. So it's sort of, um, you know, Kind of hit the zeitgeist in that moment of, you know, that fear of letting people, you know, who you're afraid of close to you and feeling like, you know, um, you know, that general sense of distrust and, you know, paranoia and everything. Um, So, yeah.
0: Um, So uh like with all that uh there's you know we we see that uh they are actively sort of uh planting themselves within various places right at least at the end of the episode we find out that um you know like kate and clara and certain other uh people are actually not people they're and i mean obviously like well i don't maybe it's not obvious it it seems to me that the you know purpose here is that they're you know obviously going to take over the world um but we don't know like for what necessarily like you know is there like a larger invasion coming is this is it just that they just want to wipe people out so that they have more room for themselves, no matter how many there are. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, again, like not knowing sort of the numbers or like the uh, uh, sympathies of the larger Zygon population, um, you know, is this like a situation where it's like you have two small factions on each side, but maybe a large sort of, you know middle group that is just sort of saying hey let's wait and see how this plays out right right (laughs) and and maybe like they'd be okay you know staying peaceful with the zygons but maybe they're also not too upset if like all the humans get eliminated as well right um or maybe not you know maybe maybe the vast majority of them are okay with you know staying peaceful and actually want to stay peaceful whatever but we just don't we just don't know at this point um in either case it does seem that uh enough zygons have placed themselves within um powerful enough positions that Mm. uh that they're they seem to be able to get what they want um enough sort of rebellious zygons i should say um
1: right Yeah. And I think there's a couple, like, I think that's a good point about, we don't, we haven't actually had any, uh, insight into like what the majority population of Zygons, you know, their general kind of opinion is on the situation. So that's kind of still, you know, uh, open-ended I think, but, um, you do get a few kind of nuggets from you know these zygons that we do meet um and the one thing i wanted to point out was this kind of emphasis on the one uh when they make the little girls transform right before they're executed um Mm. there's the line about um we demand the right to be ourselves and you know he tells them to normalize um and then uh later with the one like the police you know woman who turns out to be a Zygon in Truth or Consequences, Um, before she transforms. That's kind of what she starts talking about is, you know, they, you know, they, they thought of us as monsters and everything. And again, whether this is the view of your average Zygon, I think is not clear, but at least among the splinter radical groups, it seems like there's this kind of, narrative of persecution of you know we we we're unhappy with the treaty because it it uh demands that we hide that we can't kind of mm. be ourselves or you know that or whether it's true or not we don't know but you know that they would be sort of persecuted if they were to be you know who they are um which might be true i mean that seems kind of reasonable to assume that if you know a zygon transformed in the middle of the street that humanity might kind of freak out a little bit um and you know violence seems like a possibility so that seems like not necessarily you know a lie that they would have to kind of hide in order to live peacefully Um, but i think that's kind of part of the zygon point of view is this idea of peace is only maintained if we kind of compromise ourselves and, you know, we have to sort of like live in secret and in hiding and, you know, uh, pretend to not be who we really are. Um, Sure. So, you know, I think uh, it'll be interesting to kind of talk about in the second half, though, whether that's necessarily how the larger population feels um or if there are any other like ulterior motives or whatever i think we'll get a little bit more information in part two
0: yeah well and right and so you get because that's the question right is you know like do most of them care about right looking how they really look or you know being quote who they are or I mean, they seem happy enough to take on other forms when they want to. But also, why Earth? Like, if you want to look the way you look, then why not just go somewhere else? <laughs> right. Um, you know, what's what's particular about Earth to begin with? Other than, you know, I guess...
1: This is where you happen to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, or just like, you know any other invasive species it's like okay well hey that looks like a nice livable planet let's right. kill everyone and live there um which okay fair enough like that's a good enough reason i guess if you're going to invade a planet but um yeah like if if your main concern is i want to look how i look like there's other ways to go about that than like right. yeah. killing everyone off um
1: Well, and that's, I think, what's interesting about the setup for the episode is that, you know, the invasion is this sort of secretive afterthought that it seems that, at least for a while, they were able to convince the majority of the Zygon population to go about this peacefully, that this wasn't actually an alien invasion. Like, this isn't, you know, the Daleks coming in and deciding to kill everybody, that there was at least a chance for actual, you know, I mean, I guess the silence are more like the Silurians in that way. Like there's at least a chance for peaceful coexistence, or at least that's not beyond Mm. the realm of possibility. Um, You know, they're not necessarily an invading alien force. They, you know, are at least there was an attempt to go about this, you know, uh, without bloodshed. And if I remember from day of the doctor, I think they kind of mention the Zygons being one of the races, which were, you know, kind of uh, made homeless by the time war. And so I think that kind of increases the kind of refugee narrative to it of like, mm. you know, wherever they go, they'd have to either invade or find someone to allow them to go there because they have no home of their own anymore so you know if they if they can't make it work here they'd have to go try to make it work somewhere else um sure and so maybe there's a sense of it's better to you know compromise and fight for the peace you know rather than you know uh make demands which are going to cause you know conflict between the different races so Mm.
0: So we get. Do we actually see? I can't remember. Do we see Kate die,
1: um, or
0: is it just that she? It's revealed that.
1: No, it sort of. Yeah, it sort of cuts from Zygon transforming to uh, to Kate on the phone you know, with Clara and them kind right. of saying their missions are accomplished on both sides.
0: Right. So it's sort of the same thing as with Clara, where, like, although the switch happens with Clara, like, within the episode, we don't actually see it happen until sort of the flashback at the end. Right, right. Um, Except we just don't get a flashback with Kate. I couldn't remember, like, right. where we actually landed there. And then, um, so we have the two of them, uh, who are Zygons? And we've got mm-hmm. the doctor, um, you know, doing his thing, but he doesn't know yet, right? That Clara and Kate are Zygons.
1: Right. No, it sort of ends with him on the phone thinking that he's talking to Clara, and then it's, you know, the Zygon Bonnie, you know, saying, Everybody's dead, and I've infiltrated unit. And here comes a big, great honking missile to blow you out of the sky. So she's sort of got everything, right. you know, in a very Clara-like way. She has everything under control and very kind of managed, you know, she's got it all figured out. Yeah. Um, so kind of on the Clara note, I want to mention that too, because we obviously get more screen time for Jenna Coleman than some of the other episodes this season. But you do find out that for a large part of the episode, it's not really Clara, you know, it's Bonnie in disguise. So continuing this kind of Clara being slightly outside of the action theme, you know, of, of, you know, she's kind of hovering around the story, but she's not necessarily right in the middle of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I think is interesting. And even like, you know, you kind of start the episode with the doctor calling her and calling her and calling her and her not picking up. So, again, even when they're kind of trying to work together, there's a sense of them not really being quite in sync with each other. Um, So, Yeah. 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 And you get to see evil Clara, which is kind of fun. You know, very... Sure. Very smug, you know, kind of Bond villainy Clara, um, which I enjoy.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where that goes. Um, and yeah, I feel like so I feel like I'm struggling a little bit because we just don't have the pieces <laughs> yet to talk about. Sure. Where a lot of this. Um, is going to go. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to also sort of think about the significance of the town name of truth or consequences. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, which is an actual city Mm -hmm. in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, And, you know, but obviously like sort of has a lot of potential for, yeah, um, symbolism. Sort of metaphorical, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Sim, sim, symbol, symbolic meaning. Yeah. I almost said symbolistic, symbolic meaning. Um. And that you know that idea, you know, of course, being uh, with the doctor that you know the doctor lies. Rule number one, mm-hmm. right? Um. And that there are also often consequences of traveling with the doctor. So, mm. um, there are those. You know, sort of ideas, uh, just even in the town name and the right. choice of that as being. Because um, that, so that's the place the doctor goes, right? It's truth or consequences. It's not the other place. Or no. I, get them mixed up? I think
1: it's the other way around. That's where Kate he, goes.
0: Okay. That's where Kate goes. Yeah. Okay.
1: And he goes to the, like, you know, fake Eastern European you know um right, right yeah they're like base um yeah because in truth or okay. consequences um i'm um, sorry no i'm sorry i just
0: i got it backwards so like what i was gonna say next doesn't make sense then
1: <laughs> um i still like that though like you know especially with clara lying is such a important part of her character development you know
2: well sure that's true too
1: there is this that can be like even if the doctor doesn't go there truth or consequences is sort of interesting idea that kind of throw into the story i think um you know if if you're kind of you know live your life surrounded by lies then yeah there will be consequences and that sort of you know, a fact. But of course, but of course, that's the refrain of the bad guys. So, you know, maybe the doctor has lying on his side. um, The.
0: The other aspect, too, though, is that like. Even the piece was sort of set up on a lie. Mm -hmm. Right. And like if 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 the idea of. You know this subset of zygons who are sort of rebelling you know just want to be themselves there's that's there's also like that's an aspect of the truth right of mm-hmm. you know we want to be true to who we are kind of thing um or you know the consequence is we're going to kill you all <laughs> right, right um so yeah um but yeah, I don't. I mean, I again, I feel like I'm sort of struggling because I I know there's more, sure, to come. So I don't know um, what else maybe we've not talked about that you want to make sure we do. But um. no,
1: I mean, I think we're we're kind of at our time, and we don't need to belabor the point. Um, I'll, you know, look forward to having a little bit more, you know, meat to. Chew on in the second half, but um, sure. I think we went pretty long on the body, so we can probably wrap it up.
0: Cool. well, all right. Well, we'll be back with the second part then of this story next mm-hmm. week, and then uh, we'll also be back with uh, actually the the second part of the uh, angel story, uh, where we last left him off with him and and him and right Darla.
1: Right. Huh. I always forget when there's cliffhangers with Buffy and Angel. I like forget about them for the week that we, I just like focus on the other one. And then you go back and you're like, Oh yeah, we left that with like a really major cliffhanger. So, all right.
0: Talk about that next time.
1: All right. See you then.